State and local officials are having to rapidly embrace a 24-7 digital world, putting connectivity as the number one focus for government today. iConstituent is on a mission to help you digitize constituent services with the first platform designed specifically for the elected official that values one-to-one personal engagement. See for yourself how their texting outreach tools are making a positive impact during the pandemic, from the city of Los Angeles to the halls of the U.S. Congress. Leverage the included data set of constituent phone numbers to share the latest community updates on COVID-related regulations and assist constituents with breaking through the red tape so they can get the critical assistance they need. Visit iConstituent.com to access recent case studies and get started with 5,000 free text messages at no cost. Again, that's iConstituent.com. Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm your host, Ryan Coonerty. As you hopefully know by now, An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an amazing organization that supports the next generation of American leaders. I've been a New Dealer for years, both when I was mayor of Santa Cruz and now as a Santa Cruz County Supervisor. I hope you check out some of our past episodes with guests like Wisconsin Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, Tennessee Senator Ramesh Akberi, and Montgomery Mayor Stephen Reed. As always, you can find us at newdealleaders.org, wherever podcasts are found. I don't know about you, but it's not every day that I get to talk to someone who's been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. That's why I'm incredibly honored to welcome Amanda Wynn, the founder and CEO of Rise, onto our podcast today. Amanda spoke to New Deal leaders a couple months ago about how to support sexual assault survivors with state and local legislation. Since then, I've wanted to talk with her so that you can hear her story and her efforts to fix the criminal justice system after her own rape. Amanda successfully managed to get Congress to unanimously pass the Sexual Assault Survivors Bill of Rights. That federal law has served as a model for state legislation protecting sexual violence survivors throughout the nation. Amanda has been named a Forbes 30 Under 30 by Foreign Policy Magazine as a top 100 leading global thinker, Marie Claire as a Young Woman of the Year, and the Tempest number one woman of color trailblazer. Previously, Amanda was appointed by President Barack Obama to the United States Department of State as his Deputy White House Liaison. In 2018, Amanda was nominated for the 2019 Nobel Peace Prize. Thank you for joining us on an honorable profession. It's, uh, it's really wonderful to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Let's just start with uh, your journey and how RISE began. Can you tell us uh, how this all started? Yeah, so I'm, not, I'm actually a super nerd. Uh, my background's in astrophysics. Um, my dream's to be an astronaut. So it's very different from the civil rights work that I do now. Um, but, uh, as I was finishing my last semester in college, like so many other people, I was raped. I went to the hospital and I had a rape kit procedure, which is a a three to seven hour procedure on average. Mine was six hours long. Um, it's both forensic evidence, evidence collection and also life-saving medical attention. Um, and I remember walking out of the hospital I had never fully understood the definition of lonely until that moment. 
I was handed a taxi voucher to go back to the place where I was raped, my dorm room. And I, um, I didn't know what to do from there. Uh, I remember being really confused. You know, I didn't know what my rights were. I didn't know where the DNA evidence from my body was going to be taken. Um, and I started reaching out to uh, people, uh, one of whom uh, is a professor at Harvard Law. Um, and we started doing research. And, you know, we found that there are these enormous irregularities in rights for survivors all across the United States. Um, and critically, I remember walking into my local area rape crisis center, and there weren't enough seats for us in the waiting room. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, I, I'm struggling already so much, and I have resources. What is somebody who doesn't have my resources? What are they going through? We found out then, um, before my law passed in Massachusetts, that rape kits untested would be destroyed at six months, um, even if the statute of limitations is 15 years. So um, at that point, I realized, you know, I, I had a choice. I could accept the injustice or rewrite the law, and one of these things is a lot better than the other. So uh, I rewrote it. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and thank you for thank and thank you for doing that. But I, the system, as in reading your testimony, the system is so broken in so many states. Um, can you talk about how you decided it? It seems like such a big system and impersonal uh, system to try to reform. How did you How did you begin looking at how to fix it? Yeah, uh, thank you so much for that question. Honestly, I literally emailed everyone that I knew. It was shameless. I emailed my former bosses, my professors, all my peers and colleagues, um, and I told them about my story, which specifically was about rape kit retention. But when I started speaking out, that's when I heard from survivors all across the nation saying, hey, something like this happened to me too, or something similar like this happened to me too. So in some states, uh, for example, survivors are still denied a copy of their police report. Um, in some states, survivors are still charged for their rape kit examination. It can cost up to $2,000. In some states, survivors aren't notified of their rights. They aren't given their patient medical records. So all of these things are so basic um, and, you know, they, they don't infringe upon the rights of the accused. In fact, you know, having evidence can exonerate the accused. So well, what we decided to do was take these common sense, basic, you know, rights um, that had in some places in the United States already passed. So they had legal precedents and we put them together as a sexual assault survivor bill of rights. Um, and that's what we ended up drafting and presenting to the United States Congress. And that passed unanimously in seven months on an on-the-record vote in both chambers of Congress. It was the 21st bill in modern U.S. history to do so. Um, and we're really proud of that, um, to have, you know, prove that the country can still stand together for something. And you should be proud. And it made a big difference. Can you tell us a little bit about how, I mean, we have a lot of 
competing issues, uh, people trying to get legislative fixes, and so often the process seems completely broken or only available to the to the rich or the powerful. How did you go about, you know, getting attention, building support, uh, and building a coalition to get this passed unanimously, which is so uh, unheard of these days? <laughs> yeah, I wish there was an easy answer to that. But honestly, I didn't have the political luxury of a cathartic performance. I had to work with people who I maybe, you know, personally disagreed with in order to get my civil rights passed. I literally had a ticking, you know, time on my own justice in Massachusetts where, you know, my case is the rape kit would have been destroyed in six months. So I had six months. Um, and, you know, I, I think the most common thing that I've heard as an organizer and an activist from politicians is that it's just not politically the time for this yet. You know, we talk about windows of opportunity to create change. It, it's, people often say, oh, well, you know, it, it, let's wait for a bit when it's better. But honestly, we get the chance to create that. We get to decide. Um, and so, you know, for, for me, um, it's about working with people who want to come to the table and work. And it's also about having these really difficult conversations um, where we practice radical empathy. So being able to climb over these empathy walls and sit in these uncomfortable spaces and really engage with people on different sides of the aisle and, and help come to a consensus. Um, because most policy isn't actually political. Um, you know, everyone who comes to serve, at least one would hope, comes to serve because they want to make a difference in their community. And I think I, I think it was the Massachusetts legislature where I read, you know, you would you'd sort of geared up to to push the bill forward to to, you know, and and, and drawn on your own trauma and uh, and dealing with your own personal uh, experience and you showed up and then the bill wasn't going to be heard that day and you had to go door to door trying to get attention. Can you talk about, yep. yeah. Can you talk about like how, how you engage with that radical empathy with lawmakers when there's just so many, so much competition for their time and attention? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's always this balance of, of, you know, being respectful of people's time and also trying to make the case that there are, people whose lives can be impacted immediately. Um, so instead of for us not only talking about the pain, also talking about the opportunity and the positivity, you know, the, the, the chance for leadership that people have. I understand that politicians, public servants get bombarded with problem after problem. And for us, they aren't the enemy. <laughs> It's the system, and we're all on the same side. You know, we're trying to make our community safer and more fair. And in that perspective, you know, what we did was 
when we knock on people's doors, we go in, we introduce ourselves, and we also say we already have a pre-written bill here. This bill is going to impact exactly X amount of constituents in your district. And also, here are, you know, stories, or here is a constituent survivor from your district who wants a chance to ask you to help him or her pen their civil rights into existence. You know, we make the best case um, and remind people the best in government. I think that's been really helpful for us in sustaining the kind of success that we've had. And uh, I want to continue with the sexual assault survivor bill, but I, I do um, on your website, risenow.us, you have uh, the Hopeonomics, uh, which is a change accelerator uh, and social movement accelerator. And um, it's one of the most cogent, clear approaches to how to, to, to make change. Can you talk about your vision for how you accelerate social movements and, um, and help people move their causes forward like you did? Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that. Um, so I came up with the Hopeonomics theory. I created it because I wanted to show people that democracy is meant to be accessible and it's meant to be of the people. And what it really focuses on is, if I were to summarize Hopenomics in one statement, it's have a plan. <laughs> know the rules of the game if you want to win it. And plan on it. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's really important for people to, again, think about their own pathway to act in democracy. I think a lot of people feel like, you know, you can vote or you can march. Um, but there's a third way. You can work with uh, politicians. You can work with elected officials because they want to hear from you. Um, and it doesn't have to be an antagonistic thing. It could be a positive thing. If you have a great idea, I'm sure people will want to hear from you um, and want to be a leader within their own community. Um, and, and it's in that spirit that we, you know, at RISE have adopted my theory of hoponomics to to, again, push for this step-by-step process, this blueprint for creating change. Uh, Rise Justice Labs is our accelerator. Um, and that term, accelerator, we use that modeled off of the entrepreneurship community, especially in Silicon Valley. You know, we, you can see that there are all these VC firms that invest resources and mentorship to, into these startups um, and because of this investment, because of this community of, of mentors, um, a lot of entrepreneurs get accelerated. Uh, it lowers their barrier to entry into the market. And that doesn't exist for civil rights um, until now. So that's what we do at RISE. We take all the knowledge that you know, we've, we've learned in passing um, 31 laws at this point, um, which, by the way, makes us America's most successful legislative reform movement in modern U.S. history. Um, and we, we give that knowledge over. We open source it, and we give it to people, and we train them. And we give them resources in order to accelerate their own social movements. Being hopeful and pushing people through a legislative process that so many people see as broken or, um, or not for, for them and their concerns how do you uh, how do you give people hope to to take that path um, to affect the kind of change that they want to see? Well, I think a lot of people feel like their voice isn't being heard right now, 
but I think the, the measurement of how healthy a democracy is, is if you go on the street and you ask someone, do you think you can change laws? Do you think that your voice is getting heard? And their answer is no, and there's something wrong. And people feel like they have limited choices and tools to make a difference in their community. You know, I think the most popular ones are marching and voting. Um, but there's another route, like you mentioned, which is making change by directly drafting bills, working with elected officials, and getting laws passed. Uh, you know, uh, for for the past six years, we've passed 31 laws. That makes us the most successful legislative reform movement in modern U.S. history. And all of our laws have been bipartisan. Um, It passes in solid blue states. It passes in solid red states. Um, And it's because, you know, despite how partisan everything has gotten, we've still been able to ask people to come to the table, think of the reason why they came to serve, and genuinely from an authentic place, sit and discuss about what we could do together as a community. I I think it's so easy to get discouraged right now, but I want to let people know that no one is powerless when we come together and no one is invisible when we demand to be seen. And I think the again on risenow dot uh, us the the curriculum you've created really breaks it down into workable steps, so it doesn't seem so overwhelming um, for all for people who want to engage. One of the things that's been interesting is that you haven't shied away, in fact, and you've sort of actively used humor, um, which is uh, on one of the most depressing. Uh, Uh, topics there is in order to get people to learn more and to advocate more. Can you talk about how you decided to use that uh, tactic as a, as a, as a way to, to, to further your cause? Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, having a chaser before drinking vodka, (laughs) right. It's uh, or bad vodka. (laughs) Um, It's a, it's a way to get bad news down. Um, not saying that bad vodka is bad news, but <laughs> what I am saying usually is, is yeah. that um, look, everybody is really tired. There, people are exhausted. Activism fatigue is a real thing. Some people can't even turn on the news anymore because there's so many bad stories out there. But the way that we create change, even in this climate, is by talking about difficult things. And humor has a way of making fun of the worst things. It, it makes the context of the conversation that we have a lot more lighthearted. You know, that I think one of the best forms of, of news out there, unfortunately, is satire. So many people get their news from comedians now, late night comedians. Um, and there's a reason for that. It's because it's more digestible. It's that chaser. And, um, you know, that's, that's not to replace actual news, um, nor is it, you know, in this case to, to make light of something like sexual assault, um, but rather it's to call out the absurdities of the system um, and do it in a way that can inform people um, in, in a manageable way. Uh, because we're all, as we're trying to make change in the world, you know, we got to take care of ourselves too. 
great insight into the human psyche um, and uh, and vodka. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned that you passed thirty one laws, but uh, I imagine that there is still much to be done to support sexual assault survivors. What more do state and local uh, elected officials and citizens who want to work in this area need to do to to make change? Yeah, there are so many things that people can take action on immediately. So obviously, we're still trying to get equality under the law for survivors by passing this Survivor Bill of Rights through every state. Um, so, you know, we have um, a couple more states to get down. Um, so if your state has not passed this, we would love to talk to you. Um, but if you're a governor um, and beyond just signing this, um, and beyond actually signing an executive order, which Governor Cuomo did, um, so we're very grateful to him for, for taking that route for these rights. Um, what uh, anyone can do is look at our Survivor Safe Haven program. So our Survivor Safe Haven program is a rapid response um, out of this pandemic. Uh, it's been flooding the news, and I'm grateful that people are covering this, you know, survivors of sexual violence and domestic violence have had a harder time because of the movement restrictions that have been placed. Um, and, you know, in some cases, the spike of, of violence has increased threefold. Um, the, the number one um, demographic of survivors are children um, who have been calling in to, to these hotlines. Uh, so what we've done is partnered with well, everyone we can. So that includes governments, um, but that also includes the private sector. So restaurants and, and grocery stores, even brick and mortar business stores now that are open now by creating survivor safe havens. And in order to be a safe haven means that you have um, gone to our website, you have contacted us um, and or you've downloaded the flyers that we have, which have a code word on them. It's Rise Up 19. You post it in, you know, your building um, and train your staff um, to know that if a survivor comes up and says, you know, Rise Up 19, that they need a safe place uh, in your facility to call for help um, and that you give them your facility's phone um, and you dial the number, the hotline number, uh, which is on the flyer, um, and give them your phone. Now, the reason for that is because a lot of perpetrators cyberstalk, um, and you know we don't want the survivor to have to fear, you know, using their own phone. That's why it's important to have the facility's phone um, be used instead. Um, so we've partnered with, you know, these private businesses all across America in D.C. Jose Andres's restaurants are a part of Survivor Safe Haven, um, and if you don't own a business. Um, you know, please spread, uh, you know, the, the knowledge that Survivor Safe Haven is there. You know, it's just as important for people not only to have direct access to resources when they need it, but to know that there's an option that they can do it, to know that the community cares about survivors, cares about them, that they're not alone. Um, yeah, anyone can be a part of this. And this is, as you mentioned, this is especially important during the pandemic when um, especially kids, uh, but everyone doesn't have the same sort of social support systems 
uh, who may recognize abuse or maybe that person, a trusted person to talk to. It may be people may, may be much more limited. So they need these safe spaces where they may be able to access resources they need. Absolutely. Um, so uh, how, what else, what's the future of rise as, um, as you work your way through the state legislatures, um, and then these partnerships with private business, what, what, what is the next uh, year to hold to the extent that any of us can tell what the next year or two holds? <laughs> right. More vodka, please. Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> um, I, I honestly want to encourage people to feel like they have a place in our democracy. Rise Justice Labs is Rise's future. It's this place where if you have a great idea about your community, you can come and we'll work on this plan for your community together. We'll help you find a sponsor. Um, and so for any elected officials out there who, you know, who are looking for a great bill for trained activists who know how to tell their story in a trauma-informed way, who can do social media and help you and your office with the priorities of your community. Um, we want this to be a collaborative effort. You know, I was talking the other day with my team about science fair and history day. I don't know if everyone had those in high school or middle school, um, but I'd love for there to be a democracy day uh, and for, for us to celebrate the idea of people coming and, and talking about the ideas that they want to change um, in their community uh, positively. I don't know if people have watched West Wing, but there's an episode in West Wing that, um, you know, where uh, the chief of staff makes every one of the senior staffers listen to civil society groups. It's kind of a joke in the beginning, but everyone comes out of these meetings being really inspired, having learned things from these activists. Um, and in the entrepreneurship world, um, at the end of accelerations, they have a thing called Demo Day, where people are standing on stage, they're well, demonstrating their, their product, their startup to investors. And that's what we want to do at Rise Justice Labs. Instead of having it be Demonstration Day, our Demo Day will stand for Democracy Day, where we want to invite elected officials from all across the country to come and listen to these incredible activists who have worked on their project, um, on their bill, who have written it, who have gotten sponsors and are ready to, to go out there and, um, and, and make change. Um, yeah, that's the future, um, which is making a democracy that's accessible to all. I love it. And I love the West Wing reference. Uh, so many of us are <laughs> trying to uh, live in that alternative reality, even if it's just for an hour or two at a time. Um, during yeah. this pandemic. So, uh, I, uh, yeah, I think they called it a block of cheese day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so as you mentioned, you know, you were interested in astrophysics. You were thinking about becoming an astronaut. You may still be thinking about becoming an astronaut. Um, Definitely. what, uh, but, but you've engaged with our political process. Do you see a, a political future uh, for yourself? Um, and, um, you know, how do you, how do you think about your future um, having, having engaged the political process and democracy the way you have? <laughs> I'm so 
tired of politics. <laughs> I'm, so I'm so so many people. <laughs> I'm so tired. No, I really just want to get off this planet. <laughs> Don't we all? I want to be an astronaut. Don't we all? Yeah. I feel like everybody watched Doug and Bob fly on SpaceX and they're like, you lucky men. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, 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 no. I mean, I do want to be an astronaut. Um, I was actually just talking to one of my astronaut mentors. He's, he's on our board, um, astronaut Leland Melvin. Very cool guy. Um, he was in the NFL and then became an astronaut. So steal all the dreams, Leland. Um, but, um, and you interviewed Leland was, for, uh, for Forbes magazine. If, if anyone yeah. wants to check that out, Google it. Uh, it's a great interview. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. He went viral for his official astronaut photo where he snuck in his dog <laughs> to NASA to take those, <laughs> which is a blessing to humanity. Um, but, there's this thing that astronauts go through. It's uh, called the overview effect, where it's a psychological cognitive shift that happens when you see Earth for the first time. A lot of the Apollo astronauts, especially, um, there's a very famous quote, I'm going to get it wrong, but basically it's like, I want to drag politicians up to the moon and, and tell them to look at Earth and, and, and show, like, why are we fighting? We're all in this together. We're on the spaceship Earth together. Um, and so astronauts leave Earth as technicians, but return to Earth as humanitarians, profoundly moved to, to protect our Earth, to do things, to, to help our community. And, you know, I, I think that inevitably there's politics and everything. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just, I want to go to space. I want to bring the overview effect to more people um, and, you know, to, to keep on making a difference. Um, right now, it's by helping people find, you know, their their own voice, um, not being their voice, but passing the mic to them. Um, and as soon as I feel that solidified, I am, I'm getting off this planet. <laughs> <laughs> I won't ask if you're gonna sneak a bottle of vodka uh, for the ride. <laughs> yeah, like the Russians. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure, exactly, exactly. That's in their water tanks. Well, I think. Uh, I'll, let me just say, um, this is the now the second time I've had a chance to to hear your uh, talk, not only about how to support sexual assault survivors, uh, but also, as you said, about Democracy Day. Um, and I just uh, so I'm so appreciative of your efforts um, to to not only fix one issue, but try to fix the system. Uh, to work for more people. Um, we're all very grateful. And I'm sure even though uh, you may be uh, leaving our planet, um, that you'll still be, uh, you'll still be influencing us from, from thousands of miles away, letting us know what we can do better. Thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Amanda, for joining us. And, and uh, please don't hesitate to, uh, f I'm going to encourage everyone to check out risenow.us. Uh, for how you can support sexual assault survivors, but also uh, take your own issues and get them through the legislative process to improve lives in your community. Thank you. Thanks for listening to An Honorable Profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders and keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Row Group produces podcasts. I'm Ryan Coonerty, and because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast.